Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. We're back. Hey, Happy New Year. We are back. Happy New Year, everybody. We hope y'all had a safe one and didn't end up in jail or too hung over the next day or anything. We we hope y'all made it back all right. <laughs> yeah, how was your holiday? Yeah, mine was all right. Mine was pretty uneventful. Uh, did you do anything interesting or fun? Well, I had an uneventful Christmas day. Did you? Uh, as I was walking out of my mom and dad's house, I was carrying a crock pot and I stepped down off of their front porch and it was either wet or icy or both, and I slipped and came down right on my butt. Oh no! And went down the stairs, but I held on to the crock pot. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Matt could have had a crock pot on his head. <laughs> what was uh, what was unamazing is uh, I carry my phone in my back pocket. Mm. So uh, when I did the whole, hey, I'm I'm not hurt. I'm okay. Right. I reached in my pocket and. The, the impact bent my phone in half. Oh, no. So no phone for the rest of Christmas Day and most of the day after because there's nowhere to get a replacement phone on Christmas Day. Right, right. So, uh, so yeah, I was I was incommunicado. That that explains a whole lot. That explains why you didn't answer me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I cried because I thought you were ignoring me. But since it's New Year and everybody's been making resolutions we'd like to ask that y'all add one resolution to your list we would like to ask that you share your favorite podcast with several people um hopefully we're in that list of favorite podcast but if you would share your favorite podcast and this will help all of the independent podcasters out help them grow their channels and their shows and it it'll mean a lot to us and it'll be a great way to start 2018 right and these other shows that um, that we promo on our show, they're just like us. You know, they're right. they're they're putting together something, they're putting it out there. And so when our listeners go and rate their show and leave a review, it, it not only helps them, it helps us. Right. Um, because it networks us out there with other independent podcasters. Uh it it gets us uh some exposure on their show. All working to bring more people into the graveyard. Right. So we really appreciate it, and I know these other guys do. So just take the few minutes to go and do that. Right. And it it really is a community. the The podcast community is a right. really yeah. I, I love it. It's a great tight knit community, and and I love everybody that we have met through doing this. Um. So it's freaking cold, Matt. It's freezing. It is. My granddad used to say it is. 
as cold as a well digger's butthole. Yes, it is. No. I I have not. I can't remember this many days in a row where it's been below freezing. Oh, I know. I mean, we're single Ten- digits. Tennessee boy, I'm not. I'm not used to this stuff. Shoot, no, man. I'm 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 dying. I'm an Adam Sickle this week. <laughs> Um, but to kind of go along with what we're going to talk about later, my granddad also used to say, it's as cold as a witch's titty in a brass bra. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. So y'all will understand that whenever we get into what we're talking about here in a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but on the topic of podcasts and all that, we would like to let y'all check out a promo for friends of ours, uh, Corpus Delicti. We will run that and... Let them tell you a little bit about themselves. They're a true crime podcast, and they're they're from the South as well. So yeah. if you enjoy the the Southern thing, and which you do if you're listening to us, listen to us. <laughs> but uh, it, it, go ahead and check them out, and go over and give them a, a subscribe, and we will see you here back in just a second. Hey y'all, Jen and Lindsay here from Corpus Delicti Podcast, here to tell you to check out our show. If true crime is your thing, it's ours too, with a touch of lightheartedness and a dash of Southern charm. We cover compelling cases and crack them open for you. Serial killers, hitmen, historical hallmarks, we've got it all and bring you new episodes every Tuesday morning. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and most other podcast apps. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter too. That's C-O-R-P-U-S-D-E. L-I-C-T-I. See you Tuesday. All right. So that's Jennifer and Lindsay over at Corpus Delicti. Go give them a listen and rate them and subscribe. So, Matt, let's get into tonight's episode. What are we talking about tonight? All right. Tonight, we are going to discuss the Salem Witch Trials. Love it. Yeah. Love it. I mean, this is a this is a topic that pretty much everybody is familiar with on some level. Right. And if you're not, um, I don't know where you've been living, because <laughs> yeah. even if you're not in the United States, you should have heard of the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big historical event. Um, and it, you know, it's well documented, and it's in history books, so. You know, pretty much, you know, in North America, everybody, everybody knows something about it. Right. Right. And not in North America. You should have at least heard it. Yeah. You know, you should (laughs) at least know if you don't know the details, you should at least know the name. Yeah. So little kids growing up in Chile should know about the Salem Witch Trials of 1692. Yeah. And if they don't, they will after we're done. That's right. So we're here to inform the masses. Absolutely. So, um. To kind of get us rolling, we're going to talk a little bit about what led up to the the witch trials in, in Salem and in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Um, I think everybody has got, like I said, at least a little bit of knowledge of what happened, but I think when you start hearing some of the numbers, you think, Wow, this didn't take as long or involve as many people as I thought it did. Right. You know, it sounds like something that went on and on and on and on for years and years and years. And that's not really that's true. That's not the case at all, no. Um, but in Europe, 
it had been going on for years. Right. And there were tremendous numbers of people involved. Uh, some of the estimates I read were around fifty to 60,000 people um, accused and or executed uh, on suspicion of witchcraft. That's just crazy. That's crazy. And a lot of it uh, stemmed from the church. Right. Um, and more specifically with what the events that led to Salem, it was the Church of England and the Puritans breaking away from that. Right. So in Europe, prior to, you know, the colonists and the Puritans um, traveling to the New World, witchcraft was something that was a part of everyday religious life. They, they talked about it. They discussed it. Um, they were warned against it uh, at church, in school, because church and school were essentially the same thing in a Pretty lot much, of ways. Yeah. Um, but the Catholic Church, you know, denounced it. Um, witches are mentioned in the Bible. The Church of England denounced witchcraft, and it was punishable by death. Now, in England, the head of the Church of England is the King of England. And because witchcraft was considered a crime against the church and the state, if you committed a crime against the church, if you turned your back on God and the church, you were saying you were turning your back on the king. Therefore, that was an act of treason, which is punishable by death. So witches, when they were convicted, and executed in England, you know, they were executed, you know, as treasonous individuals. Right. Um, you know, for just having, you know, sometimes different beliefs, um, just being a little weird, or in a lot of cases, being a female that was willing to stand up and speak out, right? you know, against social injustice, you know, against wrongdoings, you right. know, against uh, uh, the um, the male-dominated government and right. church. Speaking out against the patriarchy could get you yeah. lynched <clears throat> as a witch. Exactly. Um, and if being a little weird would get you convicted of being a witch, I'd have been a witch. <laughs> a witch. Yeah, my, my butt would have been hanged. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I can't talk about witch trials without running that whole little thing from Monty Python and the Holy Grail in my head, you know. Right. It's so It just kills me. But, yeah, so um, it, it became such a common practice in Europe that uh, a Catholic clergyman named Heinrich Kramer actually wrote a book on how to, how to find, how to test for witchcraft or witches how to go through the trial process and execution of witches. That book that he wrote was called the Malleus Maleficorum, which uh, translates to the hammer of the witches. And this book was used to, you know, set up, you know, uh, courts and, and trials and, you know, was followed pretty much to the letter. One of the weird things that it, it discusses in this book is how to how to tell if someone's a witch by 
physical signs. Right. And witches were said to have the devil's mark, which are also called witches' teats. Yep. I seen a witch's teats. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I knew. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Moving right along. I knew it was coming. <laughs> um, but in order to find this devil's mark, uh, they would shave all the hair off an, uh, an accused body. And they would look for these teats. And they were supposedly what a witch would do to suckle their familiar right. or, or animal spirit that right. they had connected with. And when it was found, they would test it. So they would they would prick it with these long needles. And if it caused pain or if it bled, then it it wasn't a it wasn't the devil's mark. Right. But if there was no pain or if it didn't bleed, then it was unnatural. And therefore you're a witch. Right. And, and of course, the most most familiar thing, at least from what I had learned, was they called it swimming a witch. Mm-hmm. You know, they all sort of back back to Monty Python. <laughs> what would a witch do? A witch would float, right? So they would they would put the accused witches in water, and if they floated, they're a witch, yep. and we'll execute them. Well, if they sunk. Hey, they were innocent. Yep. Yeah, but they're they're dead at the bottom of this pond. Yeah, but, but they, they but they were innocent. But they died in God's graces. <laughs> exactly, and and that's pretty much how they explained it out. Right. You know, better better to die innocent and have your name cleared than to be rumored to be a witch. Insane. Yeah. You'll hear me say that a lot through this whole episode because just i mean (laughs) one of the reasons i like it is just because how insane this whole thing really is you know when you get into it and and you look at justification of what they're doing and none of the no forethought whatsoever into what they're doing and it just it boggles my mind (laughs) you know just how anybody can be that way let alone a huge group of people be that way right you know we're not talking about one or two people here yeah we're talking about towns yeah you know cities full of people that are this weird and one of the things that we'll we'll touch on later on in the show is where salem salem village and salem town where they were you know, in relation to the colony, in relation to the coast, and the economic differences between the two towns that were truthfully only six miles away. Right. Um, and, and that dynamic helped to fuel this fire of, you know, we're, we're inundated with these witches, mm-hmm. and we got we to gotta weed them out. Yeah. You know, well, I mean— you know, my thought is 200 people accused of witchcraft. I mean, how many people were left? Right. There you couldn't know? have been that many. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, you're just walking down the street and go, 
Yep. Hey, that guy's a witch. Yep. You're a witch. Next you're thing, a witch. Next you're thing a witch. you know. You're cool. You're a witch. Yeah. You know. <laughs> they're they're dunking you in a bucket of water. Right. <laughs> you know, you're Poking like, hey, what's going on? And... Yeah. You're like, hey, just yeah, just back off, man. Right. <laughs> um, but but they would uh they would torture the accused into confessing. And you know, Adam and I have said this before. Look, you put me in enough pain, I'm gonna tell you whatever you want to hear. Exactly. I, you know, hey, I'm I'm a vampire. I'm Bigfoot. I came from Mars. What do you need me to say? Yeah. You know, I'll do it. Just quit hurting me. Yep. You know, and, and a lot of these people did the that that exact thing, uh, just because, man, I want you to quit. Right. <laughs> whatever that, it is you know, you're doing. To me. That still happens to this day. Uh, you sure. get false confessions in. You know, in a lot of cases, um, if you, you know, if you look at some of these, the major cases, there's a lot of people out there who will falsely confess to something they didn't do. And either, hopefully it's found out early in the case and they're like, oh no, you know, this guy didn't. But there's a lot of times too, where they go on and, and proceed with the, uh, the legislation and they didn't do anything. Right. And so back in merry old England, the Puritans decided we have a much more strict view of, of the Bible and how our religion should be practiced. And we don't agree with the church and the state's stance on certain things. So we're going to find somewhere else to go. And the idea of taking this, you know, extremely long trip to the unknown world to be free to to practice your religion how you saw fit was better than sticking it out and staying at home right? and, and being safe. So the Puritans moved to Massachusetts. And they, they set up set up the colonies, um, you know, the villages and the smaller towns, and they begin to to flourish. Right. What you gotta understand is where they were in the in Massachusetts, it was they weren't landing on an area that was oh hey, look, there's roads and there's buildings, lots of other stuff. There was nothing there was trees and dirt. Yeah. You know, and here's the ocean, and here's the land. You're you're gonna have to clear it if you want to live here, and that you know they weren't pushing bulldozers and stuff around. So there were a lot of mountainous, wooded areas that scared them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were unfamiliar, they were uncharted, vastly unexplored, and, and so they knew that Native Americans were in there. You know, that was always a risk. You know, you venture too far and you come across an Indian raid party. Um, and a lot of people believe that the devil, you know, would roll through these woods. And, you know, you out there hunting, exploring, just looking around and, you know, you're in an area where the devil could approach you. Yep. That was a big concern for people then was the devil living in the woods. Right. So <clears throat> there was a lot of fear here. And when... What led up to the Salem witch trials started, all of that fear just kind of culminated into we've got a major problem and somebody's going to have to fix it. Right. So 
1648 in in Charlestown, not in Salem, in Charlestown, um, a woman named Margaret Jones was accused of witchcraft. Margaret was supposedly able to cause sickness and illness and pain. They said she had a malignant touch. Um, She was accused and she was found guilty and she was hanged. So one of, if not the first woman in the new world to be accused, tried, convicted, and executed for witchcraft. And that's 1648. So we're going to, we're going to fast forward um, about 40 years or so to, uh, to 1692. Right. And Adam's going to kind of introduce us to what began the Salem witch trial. All right. So like Matt said, in the, in Salem, the witch trials occurred between 1692 and 1693. Uh, During that time, 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft or the devil's magic and 20 were eventually executed. Now, Salem Village, just to give you kind of a modern-day idea of it, Salem Village is present-day Danvers, Massachusetts, and the colonial Salem town, which is different than Salem Village, is what is now Salem, Massachusetts. So in January of 1692, Reverend Samuel Parrish's daughter, Elizabeth, who was age nine, and his niece Abigail, age 11, started having these quote-unquote fits. They would scream, they would throw things, they uttered peculiar sounds, contorted themselves into strange positions, you know, so it was, they didn't know how to explain it other than they were having a fit. Um, now, another girl, Ann Putnam, age 11, started also experiencing the similar episodes. Uh, At first, all of the villagers there wanted to kind of keep it quiet, keep it on the down low. You know, it was just a small thing that was happening. And Reverend Paris actually stated, it's a very sore rebuke and humbling providence that the Lord ordered this horrible calamity to break out in my family first. He was a, a devout Puritan, and he felt that it was something his family did or something his children did that caused this calamity to befall him. So they called a a local doctor by the name of William Griggs to come and check out the girls. When he got there, he couldn't find any natural medical explanation. So his first instinct was to blame the supernatural since I don't have a an idea of what this is in my modern quote unquote bag of medicinal tricks, then it's got to be supernatural. It's got to be the devil's work. Now, instead of taking immediate action though, from, from this Paris decided uh, to take the advice of several local ministers who were quoted to say, sit still and wait upon the providence of God to see what time might discover. However, after sitting still for a while, rumors began to spread. And a village matron suggested they make a witch cake. I don't know if you have ever heard of a witch cake, but what a witch cake is, is it's rye meal 
mixed with urine of the afflicted person. Yum. Tasty, oh. tasty. So I'm glad we don't make those anymore. Yeah. Actually, there might be a bakery up the road that still makes <laughs> It's called Caligula's Fist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not buying that. Um, anyway, so what they do is they mix rye meal and the urine of the afflicted girls, and it was baked by Tituba and John Indian, who is a West, uh, they were West Indian slave couple in Paris's house. Now, the cake was then fed to a dog, and it was the belief that if these girls were bewitched, then the dog, after eating this pee-pee cake, would... <laughs> would end up with the same afflictions as the girls. So they, it would be a quick tell. Now, luckily, they fed it to a dog and not a person. Because if you tried to feed me pee-pee cake, I'm going to go into convulsive fits, vomit, and probably have a string of unintelligible words coming out of my mouth. So I would definitely be bewitched there. Oh, man, this cake tastes like yeah. pee. Anyway, a month passed after this happened obviously we can tell the dog did nothing he just enjoyed a, a pee-pee cake and kept Dogs going will eat anything dude i'm telling you especially if it was a beagle trust me they eat anything anyway um a month passed and by this time seven or eight more girls had been afflicted and they ranged from the ages of 12 to 19 but by this time the villagers had had enough so on february 29th under the pressure from magistrates Jonathan Corwin and John Hathorne, the original girls blamed three women for afflicting them. Tituba, the Caribbean slave of the parishes, Sarah Good, who was a homeless beggar, and Sarah Osborne, an elderly impoverished woman. Warrants were issued for all three of these women. Now, after these warrants were issued all three women were brought before the local magistrates and interrogated for days and interrogation during that time as matt said earlier it wasn't what interrogation is now interrogation then you were stripped you were shaved you were poked prodded burned beaten put on a rack stretched yeah they had they had a candle hanging down that they would swing in your face. <laughs> Did you do it? <laughs> Are we back on the python again? <laughs> anyway, um, on March 1st of 1692, um, Osborne claimed innocence, as did Good, but Tituba confessed. She said, the devil came to me and bid me serve him. Now, she described images of black dogs, red cats, yellow birds, and a quote-unquote black man who wanted her to sign his book. She admitted that she signed the book and said there were several other witches looking to destroy the Puritans. All three women were put in jail. And on May 10th, Osborne died of natural causes. Yeah, and that, you know, think about old Tichba. She, uh, she was clever. Yeah. Um, you know, some people may not see that as clever, though, to admitting to that. But well, you know, you you'll figure it out as we go along. But one of the interesting things, and the reason that Tichuba got brought into this, was 
she was she was the caregiver for the Paris's daughter and their niece. And during the winter, you know, the the Reverend Paris and his wife were doing what what any good reverend would do during that time. They were out, you know, visiting, you know, their church members. Right. They were making sure people were okay, that they that they were warm, they were safe, Bring that they them had soup. food. Exactly. So that left the girls alone under Tituba's care for long stretches of time. And one of the accounts that, that I read said that Tituba would tell them these stories of her childhood, which, you know, a Caribbean-born slave, you know, there's, you know, a lot of different things that she could be telling these girls about that she probably shouldn't have. Right. You know, that they didn't really need to hear at that age. More so, things that were forbidden to speak of in Puritan culture. You know, a lot of magic, things like that. One story even said that Tichipa took an egg white and floated it in a glass of water. And as it drips down, she was telling the girls, held it up to a candle and said, if you look in here, you'll see the face of your future husband. And, you know, that's that's some voodoo-ish stuff. Right. Um, and the, the girls knew this, this is not okay. We're not supposed to be talking about this stuff, right? but just like kids do, they're curious, you know, they're they, going to go along they, with they it. They know it's wrong or, you know, they, but it's, it's exciting enough that we're, we're going to, we're going to keep at it. So their group began to get larger. Mm-hmm. And so even if, uh, Elizabeth and Abigail were, were keeping it hush, hush. All these other, you know, young ladies and girls that were coming in to hear some of these stories while the Reverend Paris was away, uh, they weren't so tight-lipped. Right. And so when these things start happening, Tituba, she was an easy target. Very much so. You know, she was different from everybody. She came from a different part of the world. And, you know, these stories of, you know, her childhood and, you know, the magic and voodoo and whatnot. Yeah. It's like, hey, well, you're the first person we're going to point at. Right. And so with that going and paranoia had now set in to Salem. And with that paranoia, a stream of accusations followed for the next few months. And charges were brought against a bunch of people. And one of the people that charges were brought against was a woman by the name of Martha Corey. She was a loyal member of the church in Salem Village. And it greatly concerned the community that if she could be a witch, then anyone could. Because she's devout Puritan. And if she's a witch, who knows who could be a witch. So with that in mind, the magistrates even went so far as to question Sarah Good's four-year-old daughter named Dorothy. And they took her timid answers and turned it into a confession. You're questioning a four-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. And because she's scared, you're assuming that's a confession. And it was widely believed that Dorothy confessed and said what she did so that she could be with her mother while she was in prison. Right. And then I also uh, read something that 
they had to make special chains for her mm-hmm. being so small because mm-hmm. her hands were, that is just that's horrifying yeah there that goes back to what i said earlier about the what is wrong with people <laughs> yeah. you know really but anyway this is this episode is the salem witch trials or WTF. Yep. <laughs> WTF is wrong with these idiots. Okay, so on April 21st, first, April 21st, not April 21st, of 1692, a man by the name of Thomas Putnam Jr., whose daughter and wife were among uh, those that were afflicted with the bewitching, he wrote a letter to the magistrates in Salem. And he said that Abigail Williams, she had said that George Burroughs, who was a former minister in the village, he had moved away to a frontier parish in Maine. She said he was a wizard and the mastermind of the whole thing. And in a matter of matter of days, they had officers on their way to Maine with a warrant. So that just goes to show again with the paranoia yeah. that... You're blaming a minister of your village right. as to being a wizard. Right. And and with this paranoia, they uh there was a woman named Rebecca Nurse, who was an elderly, frail, approximately seventy year old lady, uh, well known in the community. She was accused of witchcraft. And the town kind of split on this one right? because there were a lot of people looking at her going, there is no way that this sweet little old lady is practicing witchcraft. So much so that 39 people signed a petition attesting to her moral character. So 39 people were willing to stick their necks out and say, nah, not her. She's okay. Yeah, and that that was a big deal then because right. if you if you stuck your neck out like that for somebody, then you're basically saying if you find them guilty of witchcraft, I'm guilty as well. Right. So that could have been another thirty nine going to the gallows. Right. But on May twenty seventh, Governor William Phipps ordered the establishment of a special court a court called Oyer and Terminer, which means to hear and decide for Suffolk, Essex, and Middlesex counties. Now, on Friday, June 2nd, the first case was brought before this court. The first case was Bridget Bishop. She was an older woman known for her gossipy habits and promiscuity. When asked if she committed witchcraft, Bishop responded with, quote, I am as innocent as the child unborn. The defense wasn't that convincing, though, because she was found guilty and on June 10th became the first person hanged at what they now call Gallows Hill. And one thing, too, about uh, about Bridget Bishop, she had been accused of witchcraft prior to. Right. So this was this was not her first go around. She had managed to uh, come out unscathed the first time. Well, she's gossipy and she's promiscuous. So of course, in Puritan society, is right. she going to be a witch? But it was it was it was written 
um, by, uh, by I, I never could get a, an exact quote, but like someone like Cotton Mather, one, one of these, you know, orders and writers of that time said that the most difficult thing to uh, escape would be an accusation of witchcraft. Right. Meaning that if, if you're even accused, that's going to follow you for the rest of your life. Yeah. You're, you're never going to get out of that. It's not like today where you, you know, okay, you get accused of something, they find you innocent and your record is clean. Right. There is no clean record in this sense. Right. You know, Now, around this time, a respected minister, Cotton Mather, who you mentioned, he wrote a letter imploring the court to not allow spectral evidence or testimony about dreams and visions into the court. Well, the court ignored this. Now, spectral evidence is nothing you can prove. Spectral evidence is basically just that it's someone saying a specter came and visited them at night a specter hurt them because apparently only those that are bewitched by a witch's curse can see the specter so you can't prove anything to anybody you know it's not like you can you can say yeah well here it is i've got got it in a jar here's the specter right so there is absolutely no proof of this. So Cotton Mather asked that it not be admissible in court because, you know, it, it, it is not proof. Right. And the reason that spectral evidence came under question was that in the trial for Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tituba, Ann Putnam had given a deposition stating that the uh, the specter of Sarah Good had come to her and tormented her and and poked at her and pinched her and tried to get her to sign the devil's book. Right. And there's no way to, to prove that at all. I mean, the only person that can say the specter was even present is the accuser. Right. That's basically like me, you know, if I were telling a judge that Matt had had come into my house and stolen something. Well, I couldn't prove that I had that thing before he came in. I couldn't prove that he has it now. I couldn't prove that he even entered the house because I've got no evidence. So he would just have to take me on my word that Matt stole my pencil from me without anything else and then he would find matt guilty and hang him that's basically it matt specter came in my house and drank all my beer right which (laughs) i think that's happened before because i'm I'm, gonna use that defense (laughs) yeah i'm woken up some mornings and thought somebody else drank my beer it certainly couldn't have been me anyway so with the courts ignoring cotton mather's request the trials went on Now, the second court of Oyer and Terminer sat on June 29th, and they had gotten better at this whole trying witches thing. So they were able to have cases for five accused women in one day. All five women were sentenced to die 
On July 19th, the five were sent to their deaths. Now, the assistant minister of Salem Town urged one of the women, Sarah Good, to confess while she was at the gallows. And she shot back at him. I am no more a witch than you are a wizard. And if you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. And I think he did. In a way. In a way. It was like, how long? 25 years 25 later. 25 years later. He, when it, While dying, uh, the judge, uh, Nicholas, uh, what was it? Oh, hell, I can't. I don't have that in my notes. I don't have his name in my notes. Nicholas Noyes. Judge Nicholas Noyes died choking on his on on blood that he had coughed up into his mouth. Right. So in a roundabout way. In a roundabout way. That curse came he, true. He did that. Now, six more trials happened on August 5th, which produced six more convictions. Uh, after the hangings of these uh, these bodies, four female and two male were thrown into a nearby crevice and partially covered with dirt. So not much care was taken in the dead. I mean, they're witches. You know, they don't care about them. Yeah, and you got to remember, too, that uh, if you were accused and convicted of witchcraft, you were no longer allowed to be buried in in a holy cemetery. Right. So any area with consecrated ground, you couldn't be buried. So there was there was no... No forethought into no. into disposing of the bodies no. of the executed. Um, in fact, you know, according to Massachusetts law, uh, all their property would become property of the state, right, and would be auctioned off. And there's no record of their deaths, so right. it's almost like they were trying to be wiped out of the. Out of history completely. Yep, just wiped clean. Right. So now on October 3rd, following in his son's footsteps, Increase Mather, the father of Cotton Mather, uh, then president of Harvard, denounced the use of spectral evidence. And he said, quote, It were better that ten suspected witches should escape than one innocent person be condemned. And we still use a similar... A, a similar saying nowadays. Yeah. You know, so a smart man. Yeah. Even with the name increase. Um, Governor Phipps, in response to Mather's plea, and because his own wife was being questioned for witchcraft, prohibited further arrests. So isn't that nice? <laughs> It went on until dude's wife got accused. Right. And once dude's wife, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa! Now, now we can't arrest any more witches. Now, this is going too far. Yeah, we're going to rethink this whole witch thing. Yeah. So, because he did that, he also released many of the accused witches, and he dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer on October 29th. Phipps replaced it with a Supreme Court, and this disallowed any spectral evidence, and only condemned three out of the 56 defendants. Phipps eventually pardoned all who were in prison on witchcraft charges by May 1693. But by then, the damage had been done. 19 were hanged on the gallows, and a 71-year-old man, Giles Corey, 
who we'll talk about a little bit later, he was pressed to death with heavy stones. Several people died in jail, and nearly 200 people overall had been accused of practicing the devil's magic. So, crazy. Just yeah. just a crazy year. You know, like we were saying earlier, it didn't happen over years. Uh, right. It happened over a year. All of this mess happened yeah. in, in a year. Now, people ask all the time, well, what what could have caused this? Why, why did people go so insane? There's actually several theories, and we'll go through them here, starting with some of the, like, the first one we start with is probably not my favorite, you know, <laughs> it's not one that I, um, they say boredom. Um, it started because the girls in the village were bored. Um, so not much to do. Puritans had a very strict belief uh, which forbade many forms of entertainment for adults and children. So the girls started doing this because they were bored and started throwing the fits, and then they got attention, and then they said, okay, well, how can we keep this going? You know, I I don't know. Yeah, there was no Pac-Man. No, that's <laughs> no, true. They weren't going bowling. No. You know, there's no drive-in to hang at it. No so, Pokemon Go. What are we going to do? So, yeah, let's accuse people of witchcraft. Why yeah, why not? not? You know? <laughs> so, there was also this strong belief in the occult, which Matt, Matt had mentioned earlier. They believed in the existence of witches and witchcraft. And according to that, they were, the witches were in alliance with the devil. So, this gave them the power to do harm. And they blamed all kinds of misfortunes on witches, you know, from sickness to poor crops, which we'll get into, to the dog's broken leg, to a hangnail. It was all blamed on witches because in the devout Puritan belief, that's what you did. It yeah. All bad came from the devil. Right. And who does the devil have do his bidding? The witches and the witches' familiars and specters and... Um, another reason was rivalries and personal differences. And this kind of gets into what Matt was saying a minute ago about the, the city, the towns taking the land that because you live so close to each other and you don't have a whole lot, when you have a dispute with somebody and you're mad at somebody, a good way to get back at them during that time was to accuse them of being a witch because they made you mad. And then you could take all of their property, you know, you could, especially if you were one in the government, if right. you were, if you were a magistrate or you were one working for a magistrate and you accused them of being a witch, all their property gets dissolved into the state. Y'all get to split it up. Yep. Cool. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if you look at an at a map of the Massachusetts Bay Colony at this time, Salem Town, what is now modern day Salem, it sits closer to the coast, so it became a, a merchant town. I mean, there was you know a, a thriving, uh, you know, business aspect to 
to what it what was Salem Town. Right. Only six miles further away was Salem Village, which was predominantly workers, farmers, you know, uh, you know, folks like that. More rural, um, even though it was so close. Right. But that was still almost like wilderness yep. out there to the people that lived within Salem Town. Right. Well, that created a rift between the 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 two areas because the people in Salem Village, the farmers, the hard workers, the people that worked the land, they held to a much stricter belief system. And they felt like this this greed and money that was going on in Salem Town with all these merchants was a sin. Right. And they wanted to disassociate themselves with that. Right. So that kind of strife, you know, from essentially people that were living in the same town, even though they had two different names, um, it, it caused the problems that led to finger pointing and accusations and, you know, things like that. Um, when, when there's already that animosity there, you know, pointing at somebody and saying, ah, I saw them in the woods and they were dancing around a fire and looked like they were casting spells and there was a figure there that looked like the devil. Right. Bam. Yep. It's a witch. All because you had a, a, a dispute. Right. Right. Yeah. You, did, you didn't like them because either they were making more money than you or the reverse of that. You thought they were. You know, hillbilly bumpkins that just tended a farm while you were the rich, upper class, right? You know, the upper echelon of people. And even as far as saying, well, you know, this guy's crop, you know, his his pumpkins they grew much much bigger than mine, so his wife must have put a curse on my my field to ruin my crop, yep. so that they could have all that money. She must be a witch because I can't explain why his Crop yeah. is better than mine. It's not that I suck at gardening. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the fact that I got a brown thumb. It's that this dude's wife cursed it. That's right. So another theory on what could have caused the insanity in Salem is it's proposed by a lady named Emily Oster, who she's an author and she wrote a journal article called Witchcraft, Weather, and Economic Growth in Renaissance Europe. Now, one of the one of the causes she said was there was an economic downturn caused by a, quote, little ice age. And this little ice age supposedly lasted from 1550 to 1800. And that's not that little. No, that's that's a large ice age, but <laughs> the grand scheme of things, I guess it's little, but that's 250 years worth of little ice age. That's right. Um, now, what happened was it caused an economic deterioration and food shortages, and this led to the anti-witch fervor that happened in the United States and in Europe during this time. And the reason being is they thought, okay, well, what is causing this hard these hardships for us their their crops are dying it's cold they you know they can't earn a living they can't feed their families well 
population growth is going to slow down during that time too. So when that happens, you've got to find a scapegoat. And your scapegoat during that time was the devil and all those associated with the devil, witches and whatever. So they were the ones capable of causing physical harm and controlling natural forces. So during that mini ice age, instead of blaming it on the weather, they blamed it on witches. So that is one theory as to what spurred this whole thing. Yeah. Look, when you're hangry, man, you... I'm telling you, dude. <laughs> you go after somebody. Telling you, dude, ask anybody who's been around me when I'm hangry. You know, I, I am not myself when I'm hungry. That, Isn't that, that the commercial? Yeah. That yeah. ought to be the next Snickers commercial. It, it, Sa- Salem Witch Trials. Salem Witch Trials. The witch! Yeah. And he eats a Snickers, and he's like, ah, oh, you're cool. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I was, just, I was hungry. <laughs> that would be a good commercial. <laughs> anyway, another, uh, the last theory we've got for you is ergot poisoning. And some of y'all have heard about this, but ergot is a fungus that attaches itself to developing grain heads. And it can cause convulsive ergotism, which is twisting of the muscles, spasming of the muscles, uh, incoherent thoughts, hallucinations, because some LSD, some forms of LSD is derived from ergot fungus. And they can suffer from vertigo, crawling sensations on the skin, extreme tingling, headaches, hallucinations, and seizure-like seizure-like muscle contractions. And rye grain was the prevalent grain grown in Massachusetts at the time. So during those damp climate conditions that were happening because of the, quote, Little Ice Age, that this caused the infestation of ergot in the grains, and then you feed those to the villagers, and some are more susceptible to ergot poisoning than others. And if you get more food, you know, you're trying to feed your kids more to make sure they make it through the winter because they're, as my dad used to say, kids are free labor. So, <laughs> you know, you're trying to. I, I could have sworn he was going to say, because children are our future. Yeah, no, not that. My dad, no, free labor. Anyway, uh, because of that, you want to keep your kids alive. So you feed them some extra bread, extra grain. And they get a bigger dose of ergot fungus. So another theory as to why, you know, so, all of this happened. So eat eat some bread that's got this er- ergot fungus in it. Mm-hmm. And you start tripping. Yep. Essentially. And if you remember back a few episodes ago, uh, we're on episode 10, by the way. All right. Already. Uh, but think back a few episodes ago when we were discussing werewolves, one of the things that people said made you think you were a werewolf was ergot poisoning. So I don't know whether that validates or not the claim because now you're tying a bunch of stuff into ergot poisoning. You know, you think you're a witch or you think you're possessed by a witch. You think you're a werewolf or whatever, all associated with ergot. I've never tripped on ergot, so I don't know. You know. Well, you know, with some hallucinogenics, um, fears, especially subconscious fears, right, 
can become prevalent, you know, a bad trip, yeah, so to speak. So if you think about what people feared around this time, besides just the wildlife, you know, the devil and witches and, and werewolves and the unknown was probably at the top of the list. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you want to, if you want to buy into this theory, which I mean, you know, it makes sense, but it does, um, you know, the, these kids were, were eating this, this bread, eating the grains, however it was prepared. And, you know, essentially were, were tripping and didn't know yeah. that's what was happening. And that's part of the key. You know, if you don't know that it's happening to you and you can't explain what's going on, then you believe that this is reality. Right. So, you know, if, if a subconscious fear of meeting a witch or becoming one or something like that, or a witch living next door, all of a sudden that becomes your reality. Mm-hmm. So that might help explain, you know, why their beliefs and their accusations were so, you know, ardent and so believable. Mm-hmm. It was because they, they really believed it. Yep. They, that, that was a deep down concern for them. And you're right. If you don't, if you get slipped LSD in your drink and you don't know it, that's going to mess with your head. Mm-hmm. You know, then a lot of which we may get into at some point, but a lot of the government supposed government studies on LSD and some of these black book stuff where they were slipping you uh, LSD and you didn't know it. That was messing people up very badly. MK ultra is a episode for a later date. It really is. (laughs) We shouldn't get into that because I could spend over an hour just on that. Um, But anyway, after all of this, then Massachusetts did decide to kind of take a stand against it and admit that they were not following the correct path. So right after the trials and execution, many involved, like Judge Samuel Sewall, publicly confessed error and guilt. On January 14, 1697, the general court ordered a day of fasting and soul-searching for the tragedy of Salem. In 1702, the court declared the trials unlawful. In 1711, the colony passed a bill restoring the rights and good names of those accused and granted 600 pounds restitution to their heirs. But it wasn't until 1957, more than 250 years later, that Massachusetts formally apologized for the events of 1692. So, and I think there is a memorial up for... Everybody accused and everybody who was killed during the trials there in Massachusetts. Yeah. And, you know, strange, strange things, strange occurrences and occurring during a time where understanding was limited. You know, education was 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 minimal. Um, you know, it, it leads to to tragedies and it's just a testament to how much of a 
influential part of American history this really was. Right. For 1957 Massachusetts to say, we're sorry that yep. this happened. You know, I yep. mean. That that long ago and you're apologizing for something. It was a, it was a big happening. Right. So now this wouldn't be graveyard tales if we didn't touch on some spooky stuff as if witch trials wasn't spooky enough. Right. Um, there are some ghosts and some hauntings that are supposedly correlated to this, this event. And we would expect nothing less. Right. I mean, as we've discussed before, when you have events of mass tragedy or anything of large energy happening, it tends to attract ghosts and keep spirits around. Now, some of these, we'll, we'll go through this <coughs> fairly quickly. Um, but, but before we do, if you go back to our Thanksgiving episode, where we talked about Massachusetts and all the haunted areas, a, a lot ties into this triangle. Right. I mean, all this energy, all this energy, you know, all these events that have happened in this area, and, and this is such a, a polarizing event caused by... I mean, hysteria. Yep. Just mass hysteria. You know, so just let that sink in. If you if you haven't listened to that episode, um, go back and listen to our Thanksgiving episode where we talk about haunted Massachusetts mm-hmm. and all the things that, that have been reported there from hundreds of years ago to the modern day. And then just think to yourself, what exactly happened during these witch trials? Right. You know, and how it would it would play into a lot of the other stories that occurred in that area. Yep. Even now. Yep. What what is going on in that small area of Massachusetts that causes all of this? Like we said then, is it a is it a just a resonance from that area? Is it a vortex? Is it, what it, what is it? Right. You know, nobody knows why there's so much, and not to use the word evil, but so much strangeness that happens in that area. Um, now, one of the purported ghosts is there's a house called the Joshua Ward House. Now there's a it's a big brick mansion that was built in mid 1780. Now during the 1680s, the land that this house was built on was owned by a notorious sheriff called George Corwin, and he was known as the Strangler. 19 men and women were executed under his watch during the witch trials, and Corwin was infamous for his torturous interrogation techniques. Um during his, quote, reign of terror, uh, he made a reputation for himself as being sick, sadistic, and who a guy who employed many methods of unusually cruel 
torture to people. But his favorite way of getting accused witches to talk was to tie them from neck to ankle until a fountain of blood would rush from their nose. So basically just squeezing them to death. Um, he would. He also liked to torture prisoners for hours and then crush them to death with large rocks afterward. Now, after Corwin's sudden death in 1697, his family had him interred in the cellar because it was too cold to bury him outside. They couldn't dig a hole, all that good stuff. So after the ground thawed and everything, they moved his body. But apparently his ghost still hangs around at that house because he's one of the one of the few that supposedly haunt that area people have reported being choked by invisible hands that they usually attribute to him um another spirit that is supposedly there is that of giles Corey, who again give a little bit we'll talk about him um but he was killed by corwin uh, after being accused of being a warlock. Um, he's often responsible for trash cans being kicked over, books being pulled from shelves, cold spots, and candles that are often found in a puddle of wax, even though they have never been lit. Um, one of the most famous of that area is the spirit of an innocent woman who was accused and killed for being a witch. She was apparently photographed by a visiting realtor one afternoon when she's standing in the hallway of the mansion taking pictures. And she took this picture. There was nobody in the house. But the after developing, there was this woman with wild black hair standing straight up. And just, I've seen the photo. It almost looks like she's screaming and being electrocuted is kind of what it looks like. But apparently the realtor never went back to the Joshua Ward house again. And I wouldn't either. <laughs> yeah, I'm out. Yep. Um, another one is known as, um, the witch house or the Jonathan Corwin house. Um, Jonathan Corwin was a judge who presided over, um, the Salem witch trials and he sent, uh, 19 innocent people to their deaths. Um, this is, uh, this is a building. It's still standing this day. Uh, it's in Salem and with the, the direct, uh, ties to the witch trials, it, it's been opened up to the public as a museum. Um, actually, Ghost Adventures did an episode on uh, on the witch house, right, which, on the Jonathan Corn house, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm going to have to go search that one now. Yeah, people uh, people report cold breezes. They feel something touch their arm. Uh, they hear the sound of a child's voice. Um, so a lot of activity there. Um, the Hawthorne Hotel is another one, and uh, I believe we touched on the Hawthorne Hotel briefly in our uh, Haunted Massachusetts episode. Yep. Uh, built in 1925, um, it was named after uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, the author. He was uh, a resident of Salem, um, and it, it still it's it's it, it's just a, a magnificent building. If you if you Google some pictures of it. Um, the interior, it, it's, it's gorgeous and it's still decorated, um, in the, in that old, uh, era mm-hmm. style. Um, 
but it was built on the land that was owned by Bridget Bishop, right? Who was the the first woman uh, tried and convicted by the court of uh, <clears throat> oh, you're in terminal. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, many people will report smelling apples, and Bridget Bishop was known to grow apples when that was her property. Um, they can hear other strange smells, uh, unexplained noises, and strange mists that just appear out of nowhere. Um, in room 325 of the Hawthorne Hotel, um, many people will report being touched by no one, along with hearing the cries of a baby. Um, and if that wasn't enough to make you go, hey, can I get another room? Um, then uh, seeing the taps. Uh, get turned on by themselves would would do it for me. Actually. Oh yeah. If I'm that, if I'm hearing all if something touches me, I'm done. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. If I'm, I'm I'm sleeping in the lobby. Yeah. If I'm in my room and <laughs> sleeping and something grabs me, I'm I'm pretty much done. Um, but we got one last one here that uh, we'll get to, um, and this is Giles Corey the man we've kind of teased to for a while. Um, he was a supporter of the witch trials and he even testified against his own wife, Martha. Uh, but that all changed when he was accused of being a warlock. So he refused to enter a plea during the trial, which led Sheriff Corwin to torture him in the hope of securing a confession. He was pressed to death. And this means he had large rocks stacked on top of him. And with each rock, they would ask him to confess. And he was supposed to say more weight instead of confessing. Yeah. He just kept saying more weight and more weight, more weight. Now, before he died, he reportedly shouted at Corwin, damn you, I curse you and Salem. Now, four years later is when Corwin died of a heart attack at age 30. Now, with his ghost still haunting that area, and the Corwin's ghost still haunting his house, Corey's ghost is said to not only haunt the Howard Street Cemetery, where he appears, when he appears, it's like a bad omen, and something bad is going to happen, because they apparently saw him just before the Great Salem Fire of 1914. But in addition to that, it seems as though his curse has taken hold uh, because many of the town's sheriffs over the years have reported being woken in the middle of the night with a heavy sensation upon their chest as if being crushed. Others have had to remove themselves from office after having heart palpitations, and some have even died after suffering major heart attacks when they were otherwise fit and healthy. So... That's a few of the reported things. So you don't really want to be the sheriff of Salem. No, no. You not only have to go and fight crime, you're going to get haunted by this ghost that hated sheriffs. Yeah, you got to fight a ghost <laughs> that you didn't do anything to, but now he hates you. That's right. <laughs> so, but anyway, we'll wrap it up here. That was our Salem witch trials. I hope we learned you something good. Yeah. Um, but we appreciate y'all joining us back in the graveyard tonight. And 
you know, we, we took a week off and to have y'all come back and everything means a lot to us. All the reviews and everything we've got means a lot to us. The Twitter page is growing. The Facebook page is growing and we love that. We like the interaction with you guys. We like it when y'all post and talk to us. We love hearing your stories. The last episode we did on listener stories was awesome. Um, I know Matt and I both loved being able to share your stories with everybody. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, keep doing that. Don't wait for a story story episode to do that. Go ahead and share them on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, we want to hear them. Yep. So, it, you know, email us those, too. If you don't want to put them out publicly, you know, you can email them. Um, and that's graveyardtalespodcast at gmail.com. Yep, and uh, follow us on Facebook. Uh, it's at Graveyard Tales Podcast, and and join our Facebook group because that's where all the all the fun stuff happens, all the the chit chat about personal stories and everybody's favorite horror movie and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, we dig talking about that, and you know, we've all got similar interests here. So, you know, come on in. You know, it, it's a lot of fun, and uh, and tell your friends about it. Um, you know, we're available on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, and Spotify, uh, Spotify and of course, our host, uh, Audio Boom. Right. And uh, when you visit us at any of these sites, please give us a rating, leave us a review. Uh, it, just, it just helps bring more people into the graveyard. Yep. So, we again, we appreciate you all joining us tonight, and we hope to see you back next week. See you soon.